0: Good morning. I'm Robin Shannon and this is Fordham Conversations. Today I'm joined by Dr. Jason Morris, a professor and chair in the Natural Science Department at Fordham University Lincoln Center. He's here to discuss his new novel, Thicker Than Mud. Welcome, Jason.
1: Thanks so much. It's great to be here.
0: So can you give me the cliff notes of your new novel, What's the Book's Plot?
1: So, uh, I guess avoiding spoilers, uh, the protagonist is Adam Drasher, who is an archaeology professor at a small Jesuit college. And he studies the cult of the dead in ancient Israel. And on the day that he makes the find of his career, where he learns about these mysterious underworld figures, he also learns that his grandfather who raised him has died. And while he's trying to Figure out the meaning of the of the tablet and what this teaches us about the these ancient beliefs about the underworld He's also dealing with his own mourning for his grandfather and he Because he tends to see the world through the prism of his own scholarship He one 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 understanding enhances the other understanding throughout the book
0: Now um, Adam is the main protagonist. How would you describe his
1: personality? Uh, he's he's uh, he's cerebral. He's a little bit repressed um, uh, I think he has a lot of integrity He's he's passionate, but he he tries to keep his emotions in check. He's he's uh, and he's going through a really difficult time in the course of this book, not just because he's mourning his death, but because there's a bunch of other things that happen to, to to give him a significant stress. And so he's constantly trying to restrain his temper and to try to keep a sense of perspective and to behave in a way that he feels he can be proud of.
0: Now, Adam has a um, I don't know if we really want to call Danny his Friend, how would you describe Danny, who is another important character in your book Thicker i would than mud?
1: say I would say Danny and Adam grew up together. Danny was almost uh, adopted uh, by by the grandfather who raised adam uh, a, a, as another member of the family who had been forced on Adam when they were both teenagers um, they they aren 't very similar temperamentally uh, adam can 't stand Danny, but they they have ties to each other that are unbreakable and Danny is also mourning the loss of of Adam's grandfather.
0: And to me, Danny seemed almost like the polar opposite of Adam. Did you write that intentionally?
1: Um, I wanted Danny to have a lot of the qualities that Adam didn't have. There's a lot that they also have in common, including their their love for the grandfather. Um, But Danny is a lot warmer. He's a lot more impulsive. Um, He's a lot more connected to people. And his relationship to the grandfather is very different from Adam's. And uh, Adam feels some competition, I think, with Danny. Uh, the grandfather is the only family member that Adam has. And Adam's a little bit, bit proprietary about that relationship. And and Danny, there's, there's a lot of friction there. There's some competition and there's some resentment. But there's also, there's an envy and there's... Uh, In the end, maybe a capacity to learn from him, I think as well.
0: I took um, it took me a minute to get to the place where I was trying to figure out, like, well, what is Adam's deal? Like, why is he so bothered? And and jealousy actually was not the first thing that came up. A little bit later on, I realized, well, wait a minute. Even though he can't stand Danny, he's kind of jealous of him. He's he's you know feels like he took his grandfather almost.
1: I think I think there is that. I think there's uh, part of it is yes. I I think there's there's that envy. There's that jealousy. There's that proprietary relationship that Adam that Adam recognizes and is embarrassed by. And um, like I said, he has this sort of moral rigor that he holds himself to. But he's he's also introspective enough to know when he's when he's acting like an ass. And uh, and I think Danny brings that out in him. Um, But he's also really different from Danny, and Danny is genuinely extremely aggravating. And I think he would aggravate anybody, and in this circumstance, he drags Adam into a lot of trouble that forces Adam to really decide where his loyalties are, and to what extent is he going to protect Danny from Danny's own mess, even when it endangers Adam's career and his relationships with other people.
0: And I do want to get into a little bit of that without giving away too many spoilers, but getting back to Adam, was Adam based on anybody you know, or maybe even yourself?
1: I mean, I I came up with everything all of the characters said. So to some extent, I've thought everything that these characters have thought. Adam is closer to me than than many of the characters are in many ways. Although when he has conversations, actually, my point of view might be closer to the characters he's having conversations with. There's there's none of the characters that I can't identify with to some extent. Um, Adam is the one that most people who read the book will say reminds them the most of me, but none of the events in the book have anything to do with my life, and Adam's personality is actually significantly different. I've had a lot easier life, for one thing.
0: And I was laughing at that, because um, Adam is uh, a professor at a Jesuit college in the Bronx, and guess what? Well, you're not in the Bronx, you're in Manhattan, but it's still part of Fordham University, you know, so that's what made me think, how much of this is you? How much of this is, is, you know? So
1: the, 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 the germ of the book there's several germs of the book but the 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 only part of the book that really relates to any incident in my life is actually uh my grandfather's funeral um it's a it's a tradition in in Judaism that the the close mourners help to bury the dead it's the it's the last act of kindness you can do for somebody it's the last physical thing you can do and and it's an act of of compassion there's there's no reciprocation there's nothing they can do for you at that point it's just the love that you can express for them, and, and you mean
0: physically, like yeah, with the you shovel, and you, yeah okay,
1: mm-hmm. at the grave, and I rem- wrote Adam did in the book well at in the book, it was a more extreme version, and in what what I did with my grandfather was much more typical, which was when it was my turn i I took the shovel and i i i I took a couple of shovels full, but when it was time for me to turn the shovel over to the next mourner, it was surprisingly wrenching, i really i did i mean i'm I'm not a monster, you know, but and I was glad that there were other people who wanted to honor my grandfather and felt close to him in that way. But I I surprised myself with how reluctant I was to share that experience. I was very close to my grandfather. I loved him immensely. And 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 he loved me too. And it was, I wanted to keep that connection as long as I could. I, If I could have buried him without being selfish, I would have buried him myself. And then that stuck with me because I, I didn't expect that reaction. And years later, I still remembered it. And I think part of the germ of this book was I wanted to write a story about someone who couldn't take that next step and couldn't mourn in community and didn't know how to not just share with people, but reach out to people and get the support that that mourners should have for each other and to give that kind of support. And so part of the book came from from that. so that's as close as you get to anything on my own life that's reflected here.
0: And there's no judgment here, but I must admit that when Adam in the, in your book uh, "Thicker Than Mud," Adam didn't want anybody around at the funeral. Um, Danny was there because Danny had been, you know, close to the grandfather, and then um, there was Adam's friend Steve. But I felt like how selfish of you. That you didn't even ask what your grandfather's last wishes were. You told Danny, "I don't want anybody around," and Danny was going, "Well, wait a minute. We've got a, you know, he's got a community of people who love him." But Adam said no, and I really thought, like, how selfish of him. Did you feel bad about being selfish about it? Well,
1: (laughs) I didn't feel bad about how I acted because, without any hesitation, I turned over the shovel. It was more a surprise at my own reaction Mm -hmm. and just an, an exploration of what does that mean and what would it what who would a person be who didn't see himself as selfish who saw himself as as doing everything the right way and the way it needed to be done how could he get there mentally what would he have had to have gone through to be there and then what would the world be that you would construct around somebody what ecosystem could that person be living in where that made sense where a character like adam who i think is an appealing person in a lot of ways he he has a sense of humor he cares deeply about his students and about his work um he's loyal to his friends and he really does want to do the right thing. How could a person like that develop? What would the world be? What would the conflicts in his life be? Who would he be surrounding himself with? What would his work environment be like? And that's that's sort of how I built this this world for these characters to inhabit, where I, I hope it made sense that Adam would turn out this way. And, you know, he was an orphan. The only people he had supporting him were his, his grandparents. And his, his grandmother, who was... Also intellectual and loved word games and loved music. She was a huge jazz fan. Adam became a huge jazz fan. They really they understood each other. Um, she died when he was an adolescent, and he was he was left being raised by his grandfather, who uh,
0: also showed love for this other young guy. There's you know? that, mm-hmm. and also
1: his his grandfather, for all of his love for Adam, maybe didn't quite know what to do with him. His grandfather was a real man's man. You know, he was he was a veteran. He was a plumber. He was a he was a boxer. He. He was a ladies' man. He was a lot of things that Adam wasn't, and they didn't quite understand each other as much as they loved each other. And uh, I think it left Adam not recognizing how selfish it was to just want to hold on to this only familiar relationship that he that he had.
0: And I would also think there was that added um, challenge of... He wasn't there when his grandfather died. He was on the, you know, his archaeological dig, so he didn't even get a chance to say goodbye while his grandfather was in the hospital. And so Danny was have. there at and the bedside. And Danny side. was there. Yeah. This is Fordham Conversations on ninety point seven WFUV. I'm Robin Shannon. Today I'm with author and Fordham University professor Dr. Jason Morris. We're discussing his new novel, Thicker Than Mud it's the story of a jewish archaeology professor who stumbles upon an ancient discovery while on a dig in israel this begins his journey through a crime a cover-up a family secret and both losing and finding love and speaking of this world that you built um in thicker than mud uh let's talk about a few of the people who were the other characters so we had maggie who was um, Adam's student. Uh, We had Claudia, Adam's mentor.
1: So how would you describe these two characters? So uh, Adam feels very protective of Maggie. He sees himself not just as his uh, instructor in the classroom or as her her boss at the dig um, or someone who benefits from her labor. He sees himself as responsible for her education and her training and for her career. And uh, so there's that protective element to that relationship and adam doesn't have children he's single and um, uh, he wants her to learn he's proud of her and he wants her to succeed um, and that's how he i think hopes that his mentor feels about him although in a in an ideal world he he has a a strong romantic attachment to his mentor he's been in love with her in an unreciprocated way, in a way that was never explicitly stated, since she was his professor in grad school, since she taught him in the classroom, she's and I don't a, want
0: to give anything away, but I was waiting for that to come out. I was waiting for somebody to tell me whether or not they had actually hooked up. Um, <laughs> so, so, and I'm not going to say anything. You have to read the book to find out. But I, that's something I was waiting on.
1: It's a yeah. He he uh, he's deeply attached to her. She's very charismatic. She's a star. She's brilliant, and she's she has a, a real strong just appeal as a personality, and she's beautiful and. He falls for her pretty hard and um, he sees her as he knows realistically he sees her only as a valued colleague who, who cares about him professionally. He hopes.
0: He hopes. Yeah. And he also had Adam had uh, his friend Steve and I have to say um, Steve and his husband. They had some of the more funnier lines that actually had me laughing out loud. So who were they in this relationship? How did you come about with their
1: characters? So I didn't want Adam to be all alone in the world. He had he had no family, but he has this he has this one incredible friendship with Steve, who was his college roommate, who he's very close to. And I have a lot of close friendships in my life. That's a bond that I understand. And um I wanted them to uh be almost like brothers that they would support each other through anything no questions asked but and that they would be able to communicate with each other completely openly and have an enormous amount not that their personalities are are extremely similar but that they have an enormous amount of shared history and there's a very strong bond there and um and i wanted steve to be part of a couple i wanted that dynamic because it's a nice contrast for for adam and his loneliness and i and i wanted steve and Steve's partner to be able to be looking out for Adam, and that way the couple sometimes look out for their single friends and, and want them to get out there and to find someone and to settle down. Um, and uh, I thought about it for a long time, and I, I I didn't want there to be any possibility of a romantic relationship between Adam and Steve's spouse. That, and um, having Steve's relationship be a gay relationship was a, a beautiful way for that to be, here's a really solid marriage where they both feel in this sibling relationship with Adam without any sexual tension between Adam and the spouse or Adam and Stephen so that was that was uh that was the solution
0: what happens is there is uh in your book uh, thicker than mud there is a crime that takes place one that Adam is sort of thrown into so can you help us understand what was going on there
1: so this is a crime that Adam could never have committed this is a crime of uh irrational passion and impulsiveness and that he gets dragged into. That he gets dragged into out of loyalty and out of um, people making a claim on him that he didn't, he didn't ask for and that he didn't necessarily feel that they were entitled to make and that he, that he resented, but he felt the power of that claim. And he had to really weigh seriously whether to protect this person who he felt had done something really wrong. Because and, and, he was
0: going to lose, he could have lost his job, he could have lost his future, he could have been jailed. Yep.
1: Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. Uh, it was. It was very stressful for him, and it, it was piled on top of some really difficult things happening in in his scholarship, and some difficult things happening uh, for his tenure decision, and mourning for his grandfather. So he was he was under a lot of stress and he really he didn't have a lot of uh, places he could turn to in his life that would be a refuge or that would be a, a support for him other than his friendship with steve his uh his being dragged into the crime was was an incredible source of stress but i think it also was an opportunity for him to decide when his values were in conflict what were his priorities you know was it was it loyalty was it furthering his scholarship? Was it his love for his grandfather, which comes up as one of the factors there? Um, and so I think it was an opportunity for him to to learn a lot about himself and, and what values he was willing to sacrifice in the service of other values.
0: I think what hit me was, um, should he still support this person who is causing so much harm? Or should he save himself? That was not the only example of these philosophical discussions that were in your book. Um, there were discussions in class. He was a teacher. He was a professor. And he talked a lot about um, religion and the ancestor cult, for, uh, if that I'm pronouncing that correctly, yep. ancestor cult and the cult of the dead, which I have to admit, I had to look up. I didn't know what that was. So can you help me understand, like, one, well, just tell me what the ancestor cult and cult of the dead is, sure. for those of us who don't know. But then there was this whole religious aspect to understanding or debate. It wasn't like they came up with a solution. It was a, it seemed like there was a debate going on. So can you help me understand the mindset there?
1: So I think there were, there were a lot of religious issues at at play here. Um, and Adam's relationship to his religion is, is a really important part of his character. Um, and I I've had uh, a lot of religious education in my life, and it's something I'm very passionate about. I'm a genetics professor, but uh, I wasn't interested in writing a book about a genetics professor. I wanted to write about somebody in a religious studies department, and that's that's what Adam is. And... Um, the The cult of the dead is related to uh, ideas like ancestor worship. Um, you you've um, uh, in, in traditional uh, Chinese cultures sometimes you'll you'll find there's there, there's a sort of a, a shrine at home to the ancestors, and there'll be certain times of the year when people will offer sacrifices to the ancestors, and um, there were similar ideas in in other cultures as well, and um the the Romans uh it comes out in the book the Romans had a a couple of holidays several holidays during the year when they would pray or off, make offerings to the to the dead ancestors um and uh and it turns out the Canaanites also probably had something very similar, and so that's what Adam is studying and so this is a guy who has no family who's, who's studying people who worship their ancestors and are trying to maintain. And when I say worship the ancestors, what's important to Adam isn't that they're praying for some particular thing. It's that they still feel and are working to maintain the connection with these ancestors
0: because uh, it does ask the question of, is there a heaven or what happens to do, you know, to our family members? Do we ever see them again? Do we not see them again? And we just have to enjoy them here. So there are all these questions that are that are being raised not just in, in class, in Adam's class, but throughout the book, period.
1: Yeah, well, I think a lot of us when we're mourning for somebody, these are these are questions that that come up a lot. And then if it's also your work to explore those questions, if you've just had this archaeological find that's going to make your career, that's a really important find, and you're also teaching a course on the cult of the dead, everywhere you turn, these questions are, are coming toward you. And different people in the book have different feelings about this. And, and um, I think Adam is open to learning about it from from all of those people and they you know uh, there's a there's a rabbi there's a there's a composer there's his friends there's his students there's there's a lot of people in the book who have their own beliefs or their own questions and i think adam is deeply invested in hearing from all of them
0: so jason what conversations do you hope these sections of your book spark for the reader
1: one thing is i hope just i mean it, the book isn't just a cerebral exercise. I, I, I've been getting a lot of uh, really positive feedback uh, so far. You know, people really feel for these characters. And one thing that I hope people feel for these characters is compassion. And when they see their own experiences reflected in the characters, maybe even, you know, compassion for that experience and for themselves as well. It's, it, it's Mourning is difficult. And, and a lot of people are under a lot of different stresses. And I think that, that that's one thing I, I hope. And I know that in, in writing the book, I think, I grew a lot in empathy, which was an interesting experience but um can I ask how so sure so um, my favorite writers love their characters that's the the affection comes through you know my favorite books if you think about um uh, Steinbeck's uh, Sweet Thursday or *Canary Row or uh, Lawrence stern's a very different book, but um Lawrence Stern's Tristram shandy um, or even in even in nonfiction, you know when uh, when baldwin white 's essays about uh hate and and he in all of these cases the, charac- the, the the characters or the people or the issues that are being written about the author recognizes their terrible flaws it 's not that he doesn 't see them and so he loves them he sees them completely and there 's still a fundamental love there for for the people that he 's writing about and I find that incredibly humane, right? That's the best part of who we are is that it isn't that we love these people because we're blind to their flaws. We love we see them. We know who they are and we love them. In and in spite of it. in in spite of it, yes. I mean, do we wish that they didn't have these flaws? Sure, but also then they wouldn't be who they are. And we do love who they, you know, there's it's, it's there's yeah. a tension there. And um uh, a lot of people who've read this book have said to me, there's, there's a particular character here or a particular character there who really angered them with something they said or did. And they, Irene. <laughs> I was uh, mad at her. <laughs> Irene, really? Not yes. Claudia.
0: No, Claudia. I was more mad at Irene. <laughs> all right we're gonna have to talk about that offline i'm very okay. curious about that well we, just tell them real quick irene is a potential love interest yeah. of adams but uh, continue
1: okay <laughs> um so uh that's fascinating so so uh they say to me you know i why couldn't you've written another chapter where they really get their comeuppance i would have really enjoyed seeing them just ground to dust and and my response is, is that that's not at all how i felt i felt well first of all I have some responsibility. They couldn't they didn't have any choice. I wrote them this way. Like given given the character that I gave them and the world I put them in, this is how they would react. But but I think that that's even though I'm not responsible for other people's actions, given the world that these people are living in and the characters they have, this is how people react and they're they're that realization I think has given me more empathy and more of a sense of uh not entirely withholding judgment. You can judge the actions, but you can also recognize where the actions come from, and you can you can you can try to love the person anyway. And I, so that was that was an interesting thing that I didn't expect to come out of writing a book.
0: It's almost like you are seeing it as this is the world, and you're and I've heard writers say this before that I'm writing and i don't even know i'm doing it i can like these characters are just pouring out of me into this world it sounds like you're saying that as opposed to people coming to you and saying no when you write him write him like this does that sound sort so of so it's
1: it's i think some writers are more intuitive and they um they don't have any control over what they're doing or at least they claim that that the 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 character appears full blown on the page um that's not my experience. I, I I make a lot of choices when I write, and I try to make sure the choices make sense, and I edit a lot. You're not reading the first or the tenth or the fifteenth version draft of this novel, you know. Um, but uh, it's imp- it's important to me that the characters make sense and that they fit in to this. Their own world. Right. And each one of these characters experiences life as if they're the protagonist in their own story. And so they're not just, you know, cutouts that are that are doing something because I need it to happen for the plot. And so I try to keep that in mind. And I try to always keep have in mind who who are these people? Why, what What would these people say? What would they be doing? What would they be thinking in this situation? And so I do have a concept of them, but I can't claim that it just comes pouring out of me and my first draft is what ends up in front of you. It's it's not. I wish I had that gift. I'd have written 20 novels by now, but I, I don't.
0: <laughs> we are missing out on so many just great tidbits in this book. We talked a little bit about the crime. We talked a little bit about the romance that might or might not happen. <laughs> we have to talk about um, the ancient script. Yeah. Uh, Adam Claudia and Maggie discovered well, technically Maggie and Adam discovered this this ancient writing, but he had to leave because his grandfather died. So pick it up from there and kind of tease us with what's. So this
1: is in the in the first chapter. So there's not a major spoiler here. There's a <laughs> there's a tablet that uh, that's. Uh, almost 3000 years old and you know 20 2900 years old and it's uh in the Judean desert and adam is on this dig trying to uh, trying to learn what he can you know you can't you can't go digging and say I hope I discover something about the the cult of the dead that's a pipe dream you know maybe you're going to find just objects about everyday life but he and his student happened to dig up this this tablet that if he could have if he could have come up with a fantasy of what he would have discovered, it might have it might have been something like this. And um, he only has time to see that the tablet refers to the Rephaim, or the, literally the healers, which are what the underworld figures were called in, in Canaanite and ancient Israelite and Judean mythology. And um, he gets very excited, and then he gets the call about his grandfather, and he's got to go. And... Um, he's he leaves the tablet in the care of you know his his student and his colleague and, and former mentor and so uh and he has to reconnect lies with him. A problem. yeah <laughs> yes there's a there's a conflict that arises out of that that he does not anticipate at all um
0: and the conflict ends up being part of why he's so stressed yeah. after his grandfather dies and yeah. after he gets involved in this crime and um that uh, in itself is enough to pick up Jason Morris's book, Thicker Than Mud. So, we talked a little bit about the musical references in this book. Um, are you? Interested in jazz at all? Because there were a lot of jazz pieces, so, classical pieces. I love music. Yeah,
1: um, I've I've got a big record collection, um, and uh, I like I like a lot of different genres. Jazz is not my first language. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I knew a little bit about jazz, really just just a, a, t- a tiny amount. You know, I could have told you some important composers. I, I had a few jazz albums. You know, I like a lot of Supreme, but. Once I decided, I did a lot of research for this book. You know, I'm not an archaeologist, I'm not a philologist, and I didn't know a lot about post bop jazz. But once I decided that that would be Adam's passion, uh, it gave me an excuse to buy a lot of jazz albums and dig pretty deep. So I learned a lot about it in the course of it, and I, I came to really love it. Still not my first language, but I do really love it now. Yeah. But that was through the book. That wasn't something that I brought to the book.
0: I also found that um, you mentioned a lot of places, not just around New York City, but Westchester also. There was one part, um, and I'm going to mess up the name, where... Adam goes, and that's when he really has that epiphany. And as he's walking through... The Alley Pond Environmental Center. Yes. Yeah, yes. that's a real place I've on Northern <laughs> Boulevard. I had to look that up.
1: I grew up about five miles from there. So what made you want to put that piece into the book? The book takes place during the, the Jewish high holiday period. And that the liturgical calendar, that that fact, really uh, informs the, the tone of the book. In addition to Al- Adam being in mourning, it's an introspective, somber time. And... Uh, during Yom Kippur, you know the services go all day, and Adam takes a takes a break and goes for a walk. But he's not going for a walk for entertainment. He's he's stewing. He's thinking about all the things that have been going on in his life, and also about what he's been saying and hearing in temple. And um, he goes for this walk, and uh, it's this little piece of nature in this very urban environment, which is very interesting. Um, and it also brings up, not surprisingly, given where Adam's head is, a lot of underworld associations for him. I wanted the Alley Pond Environmental Center because I thought it was a place where Adam could be introspective and sort of collect all of these things that he's been thinking about and and, and ruminate in sort of this associative way: is thought here, a thought here, a thought there, that all are sort of just coming together in ways that he doesn't even understand himself. Um, and I also wanted that almost underworld experience. You know, there's a. This was this was my own little private joke that I probably shouldn't be sharing on the radio with myself, but you know, in a. In a heroic epic, the hero often goes to the underworld at some point and gets some piece of wisdom. And for me, my little joke with myself was Adam goes for a walk to the Alipan Environmental Center and it's his underworld and he gets a little piece of wisdom. And, you know, not it very, sounds ridiculously self-aggrandizing. It's not a heroic epic. I'm not Homer. But it was my little private joke No, I think myself. it perfectly
0: describes that, that that part in the book. My last question for you, I'll ask you the question that Rabbi Mira asked Adam how do you respond to the loss of someone irreplaceable
1: yeah that's a really tough question i i mean i think you i think you respond immediately with profound grief and and that's something that you can't do without that's a part of it you 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 have to acknowledge the terrible loss and and then they're irreplaceable and so you don't try to replace them but you try to keep them in in your life in in various ways by by remembering them by by living up to their values by paying forward the debt that you owe to them um and by trying to enrich your other relationships with what you've taken from that relationship
0: okay jason morris Thank you so much for coming in to Fordham Conversations.
1: Thanks. This has been terrific. I appreciate it.
0: I'd like to thank my guest, Dr. Jason Morris. His book, Thicker Than Mud, is out now by an imprint of Whiff and Stock Publishers. You can like Fordham Conversations on Facebook. You can follow us on Twitter and catch up on shows you've missed with our weekly podcast. For WFUV's Fordham Conversations, I'm Robin Shannon.